Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, all of you wonderful people. Jules here for WhatCulture.com, and I want to talk to you today about video game failures. Now, this is the thing. No one likes it when a video game fails, especially if you were one of the people that actually worked on developing it, because after all, that's hours of your life that are spent that are just now all for naught. But there are a few people that actually take things a little bit too far in their negative response to the game. And I'm not talking about the people reviewing it, I'm talking about the people who worked on it. For you see, while unfortunately defeat and learning to deal with loss is a very essential part of life, some people don't really take to it quite well and instead blame a lot of other people and cause a lot of drama along the way. So come with me as we journey into anger and denial in our digital video games as I'm Jules, this is WhatCulture.com, and these are 10 ridiculous excuses for failed video games. Number 10. No Man's Sky. It wasn't supposed to be as popular as it was. Now, in its current state, No Man's Sky is a brilliant game, but lest we not forget, on launch, well... <sighs> It was a huge disappointment. This 2016 title from Hello Games was talked up to the nines prior to its release. It had gamers salivating at the idea of freely exploring a universe of almost infinite scope. It was an open world that contained more than 18 quintillion planets. I mean, what even is a quintillion? It's very big, is all I know. The trouble was, though, that Hello Games had talked the talk, but No Man's Sky wasn't ready to walk the walk when it arrived. The game lacked a lot of features that had been promised right out of the gate. Now, to their credit, Hello Games have implemented a lot of these since, as I've said, but the game never really quite got over this bad launch. What did Sean Murray and the Hello Games team have to say for themselves? Well, according to Murray, the game had proven to be too popular for its own good. When we released No Man's Sky, and in fact when we started talking about it, I thought we were making a pretty niche game, and I continued to think that for a long time. Murray also went on to say, A lot of the design decisions were made for a niche game. It turned out to be a really large niche. Uh, it's not really much of an excuse though, mate, is it? Because when it comes down to it, you shouldn't really promise things that you can't deliver. Number 9. Clang. It was too realistic. If there's one type of video game that is sure to be a riot of fun if done well, yet super difficult for developers to pull off, it's a motion-controlled sword-fighting title. It's been attempted with some success, certainly. I mean, Red Steel and its sequel were pretty good, but the controls have to be absolutely rock-solid for it to work. In 2012, Neil Stevenson brought Clang to Kickstarter, a game that promised to present a more realistic yet fun take on video game sword-fighting, which the developer mentioned often missed the mark and wasn't 
wasn't representative of the real thing. Sadly, this commitment to realism proved to be the project's downfall. After raising more than $500,000, Clang's creator announced that all the money was gone and more was needed. A year later, another announcement. Clang was cancelled. Why? Well, because they nailed the realism but forgot how to make it fun. The prototype was technically innovative, but it wasn't very fun to play. I probably focused too much on historical accuracy and not enough on making it sufficiently fun to attract additional investment. As you can imagine, the whole situation was less than a PR picnic. Number 8. Pokemon Go Real Pokemon tracking programs ruined its broken one as was the case with No Man's Sky, Pokemon Go hasn't ultimately failed by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it's very successful today. After a long series of updates, Go is in a much better place than it was when it launched. Yet, a lot of these should have been implemented from the start, such as PvP battling and trading. I mean, these are crucial elements of the experience. But you know what? Better late than never. But to be honest, there is no escaping the fact that Go was hit by a deluge of frustrated players at launch. Not only was the game an all-you-can-eat glitch buffet, but the ability to track Pokemon, which is perhaps the most crucial element of the entire thing, was completely subpar, and the nearby function was revised many times over. The unapologetic and less-than-communicative Niantic response was to remove some features entirely for a time, while also preventing access to third-party tools such as PokerVision, which provided players with maps that actually worked. Their reasoning for doing so was that these third-party maps were interfering with our ability to maintain quality of service. Now, there may have been some validity to that in terms of service strain because there was an unprecedented demand for this game, but you know what? The excuse wasn't really good enough. Number 7. Drive Club This socially connected racer wanted to be too socially connected. When the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One were looming, Sony and Microsoft faced the usual dilemma. As far as racing titles were concerned, the Sony-published Drive Club was PlayStation 4's most hyped early offering. It was to be an experience all about the connectivity, offering a range of racing challenges for a player to take on in clubs of their own, earning reputation together and competing against other rival clubs from around the world. Needless to say, robust online multiplayer was going to be key here, and that was where the team unfortunately dropped the ball. The much delayed title arrived with all manner of online issues, which, according to Sony's CEO back in 2014, resulted from the failure to adequately test the impact of heavy server load. You do a beta test, you scope against that, but now, in a connected world, you can't effectively test in your house or in your beta group what it means to have 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 users hit your service. And the guys at the studio are struggling with that. It's throwing up things they had not anticipated. Again, there is a degree of validity here, but considering the entire premise of the game and the hype that it received, it really doesn't cut the mustard that it wasn't able to do online well when it was an online-focused game. It's a shame as well because the title was absolutely brilliant when it worked. Number 6. Lawbreakers It was too woke now, you think that Cliff Blazinski would know his way around a shooter, right? I mean, how to craft them, what makes them tick, all of those fundamentals. After all, he is the man behind the critically acclaimed Gear of War series. Still, not everything Blazinski touches turns to bullet-ridden gold, though, as we soon discovered with Lawbreakers. After leaving Epic Games, this team shooter was his first project. Expectations were extra high in these cases. In the case of Lawbreakers, though, a lot of the negativity sprung from an unexpected source, according to Blazinski, that is, which is 
the game's wokeness. This title wasn't exactly groundbreaking, it was a team-based shooter that pitted the law against the breakers, in modes based around the traditions of capture the flag, capturing points, and so on. Ultimately, it was a victim of time, launching during the early peak of Overwatch and Fortnite hype. As far as its creator was concerned, though, there was another factor. One big epiphany that I had was that I pushed my own personal political beliefs in a world that was increasingly divided. Instead of the story being this game looks neat, it became this is the game with the woke bro trying to push his hacky politics on us with gender-neutral bathrooms. Instead of who am I going to choose, it became white dude shoehorns diversity in his game and then smells his own smug farts in interviews, instead of just letting the product speak for itself. I'm sorry Cliff, but unfortunately that's just not the case. The diversity was actually one of the things that was praised in the game. The game itself was the thing that was derided. Number 5. Tony Hawk Ride It was the controller's fault that it was bad. The Tony Hawk titles are truly iconic. Whether you're a dedicated fan of skateboarding or not, it's just so darn fun to shred around the series' large open arenas and pull off absurd tricks that would probably send you off to an emergency room in 40 pieces if you attempted them in real life. Having said that, not all the games were winners. 2009's Tony Hawk's Ride was a bold attempt at taking the franchise in a new direction, and it was a downhill direction. Now, they tried to push some, air quotes, impressive tech in a controller that was also a skateboard, but it just wasn't responsive at all. Critics and players were not kind to this title, but the team stuck with the peripheral for the sequel, Tony Hawk Shred. Even so, Mike Griffith, Activision's CEO, made it clear that it was the controller's fault that the game was bad. Game ratings for Tony Hawk Ride weren't as high as we would have hoped last year, he said in 2010. In hindsight, it took longer to optimize the hardware, leaving less time to develop the software. Now that's all well and good, mate, but why, if you recognize that it was broken from the off, did you continue with it? Ditch it, it was a piece of plastic tosh. But you know what? The game itself was just as bad. Number 4. Fury The players were losers and everyone wanted to play World of Warcraft instead. Now, as I've already noted, new IPs are a tough prospect these days. As much as developers and publishers want to bring us the next big thing, the industry is utterly dominated by already existing big things, which quite like it up there on their pedestals and aren't about to be knocked off of them by anything other than a full-blown hurricane of gaming goodness. Was Fury a full-blown hurricane of gaming goodness? Well, that's probably a bit of a stretch. But now, this MMORPG might have been had it gone the distance, but we'll never know that now. This ambitious and probably far too focused on PvP title was quickly reverted to free-to-play before having its servers shut down just a year after release. So what went wrong? Well, according to the developer's CEO, Tony Hilliam, it was because players were losers. Ultimately, Fury didn't have 200 hours of safe haven PvE environments where players could become comfortable with their character. The result was they came and they got beaten up without really knowing why and blamed the game for this. So basically, he's saying that we couldn't deal with losing and we stormed off and had a strop. And then he said that all we wanted to really do was play World of Warcraft because it was much more of a bubble. Brilliant. Number 3. Duke Nukem Forever The reviews weren't fair One title notorious for being critically lambasted is 2011's Duke Nukem Forever. Its visuals, performance, and all-around dated and sloppy nature were main issues, but developer Gearbox didn't see it that way at all. In fact, co-founder Brian Martel stated of the game's review scores, there were things towards the high and things towards the low, but the middle just didn't get any traction. It's pretty obvious that people were using it in some ways to kind of use it as a soapbox or whatever. Basically, he was saying that it was supposed to feel as shonky and as dated as it did, and even went on to state, it was what it was meant to be, which is a more old-school style game in what is today's technology. And to close it off when speaking about the reviews being fair, he said, I think that if we were going to review the reviews fairly, no. 
Number two, Superman 64. It's supposed to look like that. That's Kryptonite Fog. There are few titles in the history of gaming quite as notoriously awful as Superman 64. This was the game that turned a generation against licensed titles for life. Of its many, many shortcomings, the visuals of this game are an obvious problem. To an extent, we can excuse this. I mean, the Nintendo 64's 3D graphics do look incredibly ropey today after all looking back at them, but still, what you can't excuse is the hilariously abysmal draw distance. Developer Titus Interactive did have an excuse for this, however, that it's actually baked right into the game's lore itself, and it is a doozy. So why can't one of the most powerful heroes in the history of comics see more than about five feet in front of himself? And why do the buildings constantly pop into existence? Well, that's not draw distance. No, 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 that's kryptonite fog. It's 100% supposed to be there. This is probably the funniest and feeblest way a developer has ever tried to hide their raging ineptitude. And number one, Afro Samurai 2 The Revenge of Kuma. Nobody liked the game, so they had to erase it from existence. Over the course of this rundown, we've seen all kinds of elaborate and blame-deflecting excuses from developers and publishers. From kryptonite fog to wokeness, we've heard it all. As such, it'll be refreshing to hear from a developer with the guts to simply hold up their hands and say, you know what, yes, we screwed up. Well, this was the case with Afro Samurai 2 The Revenge of Kuma, which was unceremoniously taken down from the PlayStation Store and Steam in November 2015, for no reason better than the developers acknowledged that no one actually liked it. Versus Evil's general manager, Steve Escalante, stated, The game was a failure. We could not do In Good Conscious Volume 2 and Volume 3. If you look at the reviews, it wasn't that the game was broken or buggy, people just didn't like it. Now, it's a bit of a stretch to say that the game had no bugs, but to take the moral high ground here is a bit rich, isn't it? No, 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 no one liked the game, people just didn't like it. Why do people not like games then, mate? Is it because they're bad or badly developed or don't look very good? Maybe it's all of these things. Maybe it did have a ton of bugs. Maybe we just called you out and you didn't like the answer. 